Hello, this is Frank Falvey with Frank Presents, and I'd like to introduce uh, Anthony Amore. How are you doing, Anthony? I'm well. Frank, how are you? Good. Could we begin, could you tell us a little about uh, where you grew up and uh, your education? Sure. Um, I like to think I have a good reputation. I, uh, I, I'm 55 years old. I live in Winchester, Massachusetts, but I grew up in um, Rhode Island um, and moved here when I began uh, my life as a working person after college. Um, I, so I grew up in Providence. I attended uh, the University of Rhode Island as an undergrad. Uh, my graduate schooling was at the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard, where I earned a master's uh, in public administration. Um, uh, so I, I like to think I have a good reputation, Frank. So, uh, what, what did, what, you have a degree in public administration. Uh, what are some of the positions that you've held professionally? Well, I began my career in Boston, uh, with the Immigration and Naturalization Service. Um, so I began my career in law enforcement and I spent five years there and then went on to uh, become a federal agent with uh, the Federal Aviation Administration Security Division. And then after the events of 9-11, I uh, was asked to help lead the, um, the security rebuild of Logan International Airport. So when the federal government assumed security uh, responsibilities at Logan, I was in charge of uh, the brand new 1,200 federal employees who came on board to do the security screening. So after um, I led uh, the 1,200 screeners who did security at Logan International Airport, I was asked to take over the compliance and enforcement branch for Homeland Security and uh, did the auditing of all the major security programs. Um, in 2005, I went over to the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston, where I'm responsible for securing a multi-billion dollar art collection. And I also uh, conduct the investigation into the world's biggest art heist on behalf of the museum. You, you have quite an extensive background in reviewing programs and in security, uh, particularly in, in a number of different areas, both law enforcement and as, a, as an administrator of 1,200 individuals at Logan Airport and at uh, the Stuart Gardner Museum. So you have an extensive uh, uh, credentials to bring to the position of auditor. Yes, Frank, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. So my whole career, which is over 30 years now, has been based around investigations and inspections and audits and assessments. And I know how to do this work and I very well. I've, I've, uh, we did it so well when I was with Homeland Security, I was asked to go to Washington and help build the program for the country. Um, in addition to this, I've run big programs, big uh, um, leadership positions with lots of employees in the government and outside of the government. And that is a, these two uh, um, aspects of my career combined really suit me well to be the, uh, the auditor for the Commonwealth. Could you explain to the viewers and listeners what the auditor does, what, what the position of state auditor entails? Sure, so the state auditor is the chief accountability officer for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And what that means is the state auditor reviews 
performance and in finances uh, of all of the state agencies in the Commonwealth every three years. So 100% of all state agencies must be audited on a three-year cycle. Uh, so that's the reason being an investigator and, and the experience I have is important because you need to dive into the books and look at the performance of state agencies to make sure that there's no waste, fraud, and or abuse. And if there is, to root it out and tell the people. So as chief accountability officer, it's really important that once you find problems, you report them back to the people because ultimately state government is accountable to you, the taxpayer. It is more of a program audit than a financial audit. You may do some financial checks and controls, but I am, am I correct in saying it is more of, a, of how the program uh, results were and how they spent the money that was allocated to them? Exactly. You have it exactly right. So the auditor has some um, uh, a wide um, uh, responsibilities, and part of that means the auditor can take an agency and really have the ability to choose what he or she thinks must be evaluated at that moment in time. So you have a real wide berth in terms of what you're going to look at, but you do look at performance. So you might take the state police and look at anything from, you know, um, uh, should they move to electric vehicles? And I'm not recommending that. I'm just giving a hypothetical. But, you know, should they should they move to electric vehicles or how often do they discharge their weapons or, you know, how is manpower and staffing, how is training, any of these things could fall under the purview of the auditor's office uh, in terms of looking at performance. So, yes, you uh, were quite accurate in your description. How many employees will fall under your direction? Uh, right now, there are about, my understanding is that there are about 280 employees in the um, state auditor's office, give or take. Uh, so that's a, a large office, but I've run a department that was uh, three to four times that size before. So I know what it takes to run a big, uh, big organization. And I look forward to it. Do you believe that, uh, and I understand you, you haven't done the job yet, but do you believe that that's enough employees? Or do you think uh, there needs to be an expansion of the auditor's uh, department uh, as far as uh, either computers or software or employees? Well, that's a really intriguing question, and I'm glad you asked it because I've said that on day one, if I'm elected, I will um, uh, initiate an independent audit of the office because as, as it currently stands, the auditor's office falls short by about 30% of the number of agencies it's supposed to audit every three years, and that's problematic. So I plan to implement a truly independent audit, bringing in outsiders to look at the performance of the auditor's office itself uh, So before we can look at other agencies and see how they're doing. Now, my opponent uh, followed my lead and called for the same thing, but she talked about using a professional group to which the auditor belongs, and I don't think that's independent enough. I think you need to have... Um, outsiders come in who have no vested interest in protecting the office or the people involved in it and um, find out the truth about what's going wrong in the office. And then step two, of course, is to fix that 
Step three would be to uh, look at the agencies that have gone unaudited and get to work on them. So this is what my plan is if I'm elected. The professional group that you would bring in would not be CPAs, is that correct? No, I think CPAs would have a place. I think that um, people with a wide range of experiences, but real expertise in auditing. There are lots of consultants and lots of people who, um, who advise uh, state auditors around the country who could come in and assist. Um, I think it has to be a variety of experiences and backgrounds working on it, but it shouldn't be an uh, auditor's association to which I would ultimately belong. It should be um, uh, reviewers who will give honest answers and tell the, the cold, hard truths about what they find. The state auditor apparently has to review, what is it, Section 62, which when the gross uh, income tax rises above a certain percent, uh, that that triggers an automatic of some type of uh, apportionment back uh, to the taxpayers. Uh, can you explain that and, and what the state auditor's role is in that process? Sure, I'd be glad to. So in 1986, uh, voters uh, uh, at the ballot box voted on an uh, initiative which would say that if tax revenues exceed the rate of um, growth of re uh, wages in Massachusetts, essentially, that's a a dumbed-down version of it, but the difference would have to go back to the taxpayers in the form of a rebate. Uh, it only happened once. It happened in 1987. This is Section 62F in 1987, but it was a very small amount in 1987. I believe it was something along the lines of uh, $25 million or so. However, this year, the amount is $2.94 billion that needs to go back to the taxpayers. And the way that um, the auditor determines and signs off on the amount that the Department of Revenue established, um, Auditor Bump signed off on that recently. My campaign was prepared to go to court to force this return of money to the taxpayer. Um, we, we, got, uh, we had a petition started in accordance with Section 62F, and we pushed really hard for the state auditor to sign off on the number early. She needed to sign off on it by uh, September 20th, and she ultimately did it uh, four or five days early. We pushed really hard for this early uh, result. And um, the governor's office announced that uh, beginning in November, rebates will go out to people, and the amount that um, has been determined is roughly 13% of what people paid in income taxes to the state last year. So you'll all, if you pay taxes last year, you'll be getting a check back uh, beginning in November. Do you have any idea why the income tax was uh, uh, so much uh, more? I mean, why? Uh, where did all that increase in revenue come to uh, individuals that they were paying uh, so much uh, uh, on higher income? I imagine... It, if it's a, it, it, the revenue rose somewhere, uh, where did that revenue come from? It, it didn't come from uh, regular working or regular hourly wages. I mean, do you have any idea 
Was it from capital gains or what made the revenue uh, so high? There's a lot of factors that went into um, uh, the revenue being so high. A lot of it had to do with money being um, flooded into the market from Washington and from relief programs. A lot of it had to do with the economy really surging um, once uh, things started to open up after COVID. There are a number of different reasons that the revenue increased, but um, uh, the governor's office saw this coming down the pike. The legislature did not, which is problematic as well, because you would hope that lawmakers are aware of the laws that that um, govern us. So um, the governor pushed very hard to make sure that this money will come back in the form of rebates. And we did, too. My campaign worked really closely with uh, the administration. And we were on top of this every day on radio and on television and in the newspapers telling people that this was coming and that they should be watching to make sure that the auditor signed off on the number. And ultimately, she did. And she did it early. Do you believe in 2023 that revenue through income taxes will decline because the economy will be in a somewhat of a decline? That's a hard, um, very hard question. I think at the present moment, we're on track to be bringing in more again. However, as you rightfully put out, the economy is, um, it's, uh, people don't want to use the word recession, but the economy is in a very rough spot. Um, but people are spending more, the, uh, the Biden administration flooded a lot of money into into um, the people's hands, uh, $1.2 trillion um, essentially printed. So it's a tough estimate to make because the economy is um, in a real state of flux. We know that inflation is very high, though, and we know that inflation on groceries is even higher, much higher. It's 4% higher than the rest of inflation. So what we do know is that in the coming year, people's um, pocketbooks are really going to be um, uh, squeezed because of inflation and rising costs, the cost of housing, et cetera, is all um, skyrocketing. And that's why it's really important to have an auditor who cares about how taxes are spent, um, tax money is spent in the state and making sure that that non-discretionary money that you and I have to pay every year to the government, uh, we don't have a choice about paying taxes. We have to at least ensure that the taxpayer's money is being spent responsibly and frugally and efficiently in accordance with the law. How will you highlight your reports? In other words, I gather that your reports are made available to the public, and, and I gather they probably go to the Senate and House of Representatives. But how will you, uh, will you particularly highlight good reports on agencies and uh, also maybe highlight reports where agencies have let down, and how will you do that? Well, I think, uh, the, aside from the duties I explained already about the auditor, the second part of that job is, is really using the bully pulpit to inform the citizenry about what the auditor is finding in his or her reviews. As auditor, I, uh, I will take the audits that are completed by my office, and those usually, they are given to state government, but they're also on the internet. But you need to go way beyond that. You can't just wait for the taxpayer, for the citizens to come to you and ask questions. As auditor, I will, number one, implement 
a website that is so much more easily used and um, uh, uh, viewed. And um, what I envision are pull-down menus with each agency so people can really check what were the findings from the last audit done by the state auditor's office instead of having to leaf through these long um, reports, which have their place. But uh, many people, you know, they work, they have children, they have second jobs. They don't have the time to read long audits. I think it should be really quickly accessible to the taxpayer. The second second, uh, part of my plan involves me as auditor going out to people like you, to community um, news outlets, to community media, to talk to neighborhood groups, to let people know what we're finding. Um, I think the auditor, as chief accountability officer, has to really get out to the people and not wait for people to ask questions. And the third part, I think it would be uh, a good initiative to have a high-risk list, to implement a list of agencies where the findings show that this agency is in real trouble and provide these lists to or update this list and make it known to the legislature so they can do the appropriate planning, uh, budgetary planning, for state agencies. So that's a three-part plan that I have to really keep the public informed about what's going on with this government. On the last part of your plan, I think it's very important to highlight both. The agencies that have done a superb job and the agencies that are mediocre and the agencies that have failed. And one way that you might think about doing it is we're a public access TV station. You might take a, a, a report a month or two reports a month and send a video, a digital analysis of those reports that stations uh, like the Franklin Cable Access Station could replay and schedule uh, somewhere uh, in their schedule. I think that's a wonderful idea, Frank. What, what outside, you mentioned that 30% don't get audited uh, currently, but is there any agency that in the last, say, three years has not been audited? And what agency might that be? Many agencies that haven't been audited in the last three years, 30% of them. Um, I don't have a list of them in front of me. Some examples, though, would be uh, you know, I was out in Springfield recently, and I know the people of Springfield are concerned about the idea of a natu- uh, natural gas pipeline in their area and about the safety of that pipeline. And I can tell you that the agency within the Department of Public Utilities that is responsible for uh, safety of things like pipeline has never been audited. I can tell you that in its six years of existence, the Cannabis Control Commission is now finally in the state... Um, in the midst of an audit, but it's six years after the agency was formed. I can tell you that I spoke to a, a, uh, a county sheriff who shall remain nameless, who told me his agency was audited one time in the last 10 years. Uh, this is unacceptable, um, and we need to make sure we're doing 100% of the audits that need to be done. Let me ask the reverse of that. Has one agency been audited every year in the last three years? No, no agency's been audited every year, um, and, and that's not what the law requires. It requires uh, the agency be audited once every three years. 
Okay, so there are not agencies that have been, there must be some agencies that have been audited every three years in the last, what, nine years? Yeah, I believe the MBTA has. The MBTA is a massive operation, though, and uh, there's so much to review. And now with the recent um, Federal Transit Authority uh, review of the safety and operation of the MBTA, there's a lot of opportunity to go back and revisit. There's nothing that says an agency can't be audited more frequently. And there's also something that... Um, you know, we did in the federal government, which is supplemental inspection. So, yes, you do your major inspection on a schedule. But when you have findings, it's a good idea to go back periodically and see, have there been improvements on the findings that you've made? So I think it's a good thing to be robust and to be active and to be, you know, looking out as a good custodian of, of uh, public agencies. As part of your job as the uh, chief auditor, and you make recommendations either both to the agency, and I would imagine that you make recommendations to the House of Representatives and the Senate for action that they would uh, do by law. Do you have a mechanism that is pretty uh, automatic to follow if those recommendations are passed or ignored? Well, the auditor has um, people who work in the legislative uh, division of the auditor's off office that monitor um, legislation that pertains to the auditor's office and the auditor's findings. So, yes, that's that's an important element of the job. But I'm asking about you make these recommendations, give these reports, but do you follow up in some way to see on a fairly consistent timely basis to see if they're implemented. Well, that's what I was just mentioning about having um, supplemental inspections, following up on, on findings and recommendations to see where we are in those instead of making them and then letting them go off into the void with no one to revisit them. I'm A not... good example of this would be that many years ago, um, the Mass Commission Against Discrimination, MCAD, was audited and um, found that they have that their backlog needs to be rectified, but their backlog has not been rectified. Many people wait many many years, and I'm talking about in some instances decades, for a resolution to their uh, case involving um, discrimination in Massachusetts. So uh, I think that it's important that you have a robust supplemental inspection program. Well, see. A supplemental inspection means that you go back into that agency. What I'm looking for is that when a report is issued and recommendations made, that the agency or the legislature, within three months or four months, reply to that report, what, whether they have implemented any of the report or what part of the report or what part, that there would be some either legislation or requirement that they, within a certain period of time, respond back to you as to what they have done. Does, can that type of uh, uh, requirement uh, be implemented? Requirements come from the legislature. So that would be up to the legislature to implement it. Certainly, as I was mentioning before, 
uh, um, the legislative branch of the auditor's office could work on lobbying the legislature to implement such a thing. But it's ultimately up to the legislature to make the laws. What is the question that I haven't asked you that you would like uh, to bring before the viewers and listeners? Well, the, the question I, I uh, wish that you had asked, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to present it, is uh, what differentiates me from my opponent? Uh, my opponent is an honorable person who spent 13 years in the legislature, but she has never done anything resembling an investigation or an audit or an inspection or an assessment, nothing. She has no experience in the role, um, and she has never led an organization of any sort. Those are the two main job requirements to be state auditor. I have over three decades experience doing this sort of work. I bring that experience to the auditor's office. And the reason that is so essential, Frank, is because the auditor's office is the ultimate checks and balance office on Beacon Hill. So when we're young, we learn about government and we learn that at every level of government in America, checks and balances are essential to a successful democracy. A one-party state, regardless of which party it is, cannot really thrive. Um, it does nobody any service to have a one-party state. It's important that I, as a Republican, can serve on Beacon Hill as auditor to make sure that checks and balances remain with Governor Baker and Lieutenant Governor Polito, both of whom have performed excellent services, Commonwealth, both of whom have endorsed me and only me for statewide office. It's important that with them leaving in January, it's very likely we're going to have an all-democratic government, but we have a shot for me to be elected auditor, and I hope people understand how important it is to have a counterbalance on Beacon Hill to make sure that there's some constructive friction in government. Anthony, when you do audits as the uh, auditor for the state, under the uh, Baker Lolito administration, I think you probably expect that you will find that some agencies haven't lived up to what they should have done. Am I correct? I think that in any government, anywhere in the United States, you are likely to find agencies, federal, state, municipal, that are not performing to the, uh, to the best benefit of the taxpayer. And that's why it's important that there is an auditor who knows how to audit in place to make sure that these problems are rectified. So you agree, regardless of whether it's a Democrat or a Republican, there needs to be an auditor and you will find under either administration places where agencies did not perform as well as they should have. Oh, yes. I think that um, I'm very, very proud of the work that the Baker administration has done. And I think most people agree that he has managed government well, which is why his approval ratings are so high. And he's done it without acrimony and without name calling. He's done it at a bipartisan level. But government's big. State government is big. It's a very big budget. You know, we're talking about uh, a, um, a very large multi-billion dollar budget. And I think that when you have that much money being spent and that many employees, 
you're bound to find problems. That's why you have a stopgap. That's why you have a watchdog. And that's why auditor is such an essential part of government. And I intend to be a really um, aggressive, yet fair and independent auditor on Beacon Hill. Anthony, how can people reach you if they want to be part of the campaign, learn more about the campaign? Uh, what ways uh, could you uh, give uh, the listening and viewing public how they can uh, reach you and learn more learn more about uh, your campaign. Well, thanks for asking, Frank. Um, um, my campaign is on all the social media platforms, Anthony Amore for Auditor. But the easiest thing to do is to go to my website, which is amore2022.com. So it's A-M-O-R-E 2022 Com. And if you go to that website, very easy to find right on the homepage, a phone number to call, email address, um, any way you want to reach us, you can get us. And we're very, very responsive. So if you visit amore2022.com, you can be in touch with us and you'll hear back from us. And you can even make a donation because campaigns are expensive. And if you like the idea of having checks and balances on Beacon Hill, I would love your support. Uh, thank you. Thank you for uh, coming on the program. Uh, this is Anthony Amore, like Dean Martin's song. <laughs> Am I correct? <laughs> well and, done, Frank. And you're running for the state auditor of Massachusetts. Here in Franklin, you go to the Franklin Gymnasium. You can vote uh, on November 8th, Tuesday, from 6 to 8 o'clock in the evening. If you want to vote by mail, you must return a request by November 1st uh, in order to vote by mail. And if you come to Franklin, uh, uh, you know, I can tell you uh, this town was named after Ben Franklin and he was still alive. And I can tell you the rest of the story if you're campaigning in Franklin sometime. But uh, you, welcome to the program and I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. This program was made possible by your Franklin friends and neighbors. Good folks, just like you. Thanks for supporting Franklin TV. And thanks for watching.